0: Welcome to the latest installment of DebtWire's Middle Market Podcast. Today we are going to explore the challenges faced by the restaurant industry, especially in the casual dining franchise space. I'm Tanvi Acharya, Middle Market Restructuring Reporter, and with me is J.R. Smith, a restructuring and corporate finance attorney at Hampton Andrews Kirth and we are going to discuss some of the latest franchisee bankruptcy filings and talk about how these cases might lead to a few changes in that space. JR has represented clients in bankruptcies across multiple industries, including leisure and retail. His experience also includes providing insolvency-related advice in structuring complex transactions for asset-based lending, REITs, real estate finance, and other capital markets transactions. Thank you so much for being here, JR.
1: Delighted to be here, Tubby.
0: So, the restaurant industry and mainly the casual dining space have been struggling for around two years now. And that has partly driven uh, the recent bankruptcy filings of large franchisees like RMH, the second largest Applebee's franchisee, and Wasari, the second largest Dairy Queen franchisee. What are some of the troubles faced by RMH, which are shared by similar franchisees, and what are some of the factors that make the RMH filing unique?
1: Yeah, the franchise industry is kind of an interesting one. If you, if you take a step back and you think about sort of the way that the business works, the idea is, is that you, you get a concept um, that has mass appeal, And uh, you're able to sort of brand that out over a large geography uh, as a franchisor and also diffuse sort of the economics because you're essentially hiring independent operators on a localized basis to run the franchise as franchisees. And what you get, hopefully, is a consistent... Food platform so that customers can walk into uh, an Applebee's in New York or an Applebee's in California, and they're familiar with the with the menu, with the generally with the pricing structure, with the atmosphere, kind of know what you're going to get. So it's a very uh, comfortable uh, transition uh, for for consumers, regardless of where they go. And yet, you're also sort of leveraging up the size that a large franchise can bring to reduce costs because you're you've got volume purchasing power across many different restaurants as opposed to just one or two locations uh... and in some instances uh... expertise because the franchisors are bringing uh... sort of that knowledge that restaurant operation knowledge base that they're imparting on to you and then finally uh... advertising again it's sort of hand in hand with developing a brand out, but when you've got a well-known brand, uh, it, that, that's appealing to, to customers, again, because it's a comfortable experience. You know what you're getting, uh, and you can leverage that brand, but also uh, the the, the 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 opportunity to to advertise on a on a broader scale again using the leverage of multiple franchises uh, to uh, support sort of a a larger em- enterprise and so. RMH is is kind of an interesting one. I mean, the reality is is that that company, uh, as you as you indicated, is the second largest Applebee franchise. It represents eight percent of the total company. Uh, they have, I think, close to 160 locations over 15 different states, and so they they are a relatively new company, and they they. Really went from zero to sixty faster than a Tesla Roadster. I mean, they <laughs> they expanded rapidly uh, over a three-year time period, and I think when you really peel away the the economics of that of, of that franchisee, it it really is one of overexpansion, expansion, over leverage, uh, an environment where the the franchise industry. Uh, particularly, the casual dining space is under attack from so many different um, consumer options uh, that it just really made margins thin. And I think they struggled with their business.
0: Got it. And how does that sort of compare to what were the troubles that Vasari was facing and had to file?
1: Yeah, and Vasari's a little bit of a of a different beast too, because Wasari is a uh, it was close to a hundred uh, dairy. Queen stores located uh, largely uh, in in the Texas Panhandle area, uh, some down in New Mexico as well, uh, and it's it's really a different slice. I mean, you look at uh, casual dining, you you sit down, uh, you've got uh, slightly higher margins, you've got uh, more staff, of course, but you have the opportunity to earn tips, and and so it looks like sort of a traditional uh, sit down. Dining experience in the RMH uh, scenario with Applebee's, and you compare that to the Vasari, uh, That's really sort of the, uh, the the more impulsive, you know. After the families grab dinner somewhere else, uh, typically, you know, let's go get some ice cream. Uh, and Dairy Queen is a is a long a storied franchise that I remember well growing up, uh, used to go and get those banana splits, but it's sort of like a one-trick pony. It's got, uh, I think it's got vanilla ice cream, and maybe they're doing they're doing chocolate, and sometimes you can get them together in the swirl. And so <laughs> the options aren't that great, and there's just a, a huge amount of competition, too, from the Dairy Queen uh ice cream sort of business with gelatos and all kinds of local shops that are opening up so i think dairy queen which again depends on a high volume uh high foot traffic in order to meet their margins uh, really is just under distress, and I think anecdotally too, um, over the past couple of years, obviously we had some hurricane issues. Hurricane Harvey uh, knocked out a number of stores and 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 also shut down stores uh, for a, a period of time while that area of the country was recovering and you know with a with a high uh, volume requirement low margin uh, scenario, you really can't afford to be shuttered very long but it's before it starts to hit the bottom line so i th- I think that's probably vasari's story uh, and and relative to r m h uh, you know they they're two different business models but uh, what it shows you is that sort of the, the franchise model really largely depends on on volume and and has thinner margins in part because uh, what these franchisees are required to do in order to participate in the franchise model is that not only do they have to operate a normal restaurant, but they also have to sort of buy into the franchise. And so there are franchise fees, licensing fees that go up the chain, back up to the franchisor. Uh, Again, you do have that centralized purchasing power uh, but sometimes uh, that doesn't work to your advantage because you can't price shop. you're You're required to purchase all of your goods from the the franchise or directed uh, vendor. And, you know, it also can hit you in other ways. So in RMH, just to turn back there, uh, one of the things that uh, RMH complained about, although I don't think that this was really uh, the source of their economic difficulties, uh, but Applebee's in that casual dining space really is facing some increased competition from just the the plethora of options that are out there, uh, the turn to local, uh, local grown, local eat, uh, consumer tastes are changing. And so Apple has embarked upon a pretty aggressive. Uh, change to their stores and marketing change. So they you know, they converted some grills to new wood fired grills. They had a new ad campaign. Uh, they changed menus. They they, uh, they 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 got onto the taco uh, the, the the taco craze, and I think they've got chicken wonton tacos. And if you can figure that one out, let me know. But um, so they they really forced Applebee's, the franchisor, a lot of different new uh, things to try to compete with changing consumer tastes to stay ahead of changing consumer tastes. And that can impose additional cost burdens on a franchisee. Sometimes it works great, but when you're already distressed, like RMH was, it it really can tank and crater the company.
0: So is that like a common practice that, you know, the franchisor requires and can change what, you know, how a franchisee operates or, you know, what vendors they get their uh, stuff from or the grill that they use?
1: yeah there's a lot of control um and that's and that's again a good thing and a bad thing so the good thing about it is that consistency across uh, all of the franchisees is really one of the selling points again new york applebee's is going to be the same experience or largely the same experience and the same menu as the california applebee's uh and the idea being is that if you can provide that consistent product out there uh again you're 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 driving sort of a comfort level and a familiarity with consumers that will allow them to um uh, to experience sort of a, a a chain regardless of where they may happen to be um, the, the downside is what one of the downsides is what you just mentioned, and that is uh, the, as a result of that, the franchisors maintain an enormous amount of control over the franchisee's business, and so they will dictate where the franchisee must buy uh, all of its uh, all of its disposable goods. So, you know, in the case of Dairy Queen, for example, which doesn't have uh, Uh, china plates and and uses paper or other products, all those products will be bought through a Dairy Dairy Queen dictated provider. Uh, And rarely will that franchisee be able to go out, uh, even if it has sort of a sizable position itself, and dictate where it would buy or to try to drive some price competition with the franchise or required vendor. And in terms of menu shifts, uh, absolutely. So the franchisor will definitely go out, uh, test menu changes, try to stay ahead of that consumer curve. And once it decides to make an investment, it will force it on all of its franchisees. Now, it's not a one way street. Uh, the franchisors know that their franchisees are really the bread and butter. They need them to succeed too. And so there's. There's quite a bit of back and forth and, and conversations that occur uh, at an operational level. Uh, the franchisees are the entities that can provide the feedback up to the parent, franchi- not the parent, but the franchisor uh, to help them understand how markets are changing. And then some franchise, franchises are also very sensitive to geography. So, you know, in the Applebee's, you may get. You may have a hot dog on the menu in New York, um, uh, but you may have a fish taco on the menu in in, in California, and so there'll, there'll be those sorts of changes too. Um, but franchisees largely are beholden to the franchisor, and that's written in contract, and so there isn't much deviation.
0: So, and RMH complained that you know what it was required to do by the franchisor ended up hurting it in some ways as well.
1: Yeah, it did. It said that, in particular, the most recent ad campaign and you know this this grill shift, which cost uh, tens of thousands of dollars, uh, and you multiply that across 160 stores. That's that's quite a bit of uh, capital investment, and when you've got an already debt laden balance sheet, um, those types of shifts make it really challenging for franchisees.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what are the like the lessons here for players involved, like uh, the franchisors, the lenders? You know, would there be uh, would they consider you know changing the contracts a little bit? Would we see maybe uh, changing in lending practice? What can they learn from you know these filings?
1: Yeah, I think franchisors are, are are definitely going to want to continue to maintain control. Like that's their that's their bread and butter, and 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 yet. Um, they may, together with lenders, uh, be a little bit more attentive to sort of franchisee bottom lines. And so uh, if if you look at, I think, Applebee's, for example, uh, Applebee's parent, uh, Dynit Brands Global, last, uh, for the first quarter of 2018, they, they had... Reported 3.3 percent same sale or same store sale growth uh, compared to an industry average of about two percent. So that was great, but you know they also had a decline in cash flow and in income, and that's because they closed 100 stores in 2017. And I, if you look at why they did that, it really was to look at sort of where their franchisees were underperforming, and rather than have those uh, those stores be a drag on the brand, um, what what I suspect they did is that they exercised covenant relief that they had in their contracts that gave the parent the ability to yank the franchise from the franchisee. And so I think franchisors are going to look more carefully at those covenants and see how uh, much control. They'll be able to continue to exert. They'll pay particular attention, I think, to uh, the financial covenants and, and and look closer at financial performance on a quarterly, by quarterly basis. Lenders are going to do the same thing. I think if they, you know, there's a lot of juice in the market right now, and, and I think lenders are are certainly being a little bit more aggressive with their positions. You've got interest rates trickling up, which means more profit. But um, if you relax underwriting standards, you're also getting, uh, you're, you're potentially getting overextended. I think the smart lender is going to take a look at this industry, uh, particularly, and again, that casual dining um, sector, uh, which is the hardest ship, I think, to, to change um, because there's just a, really baked in infrastructure uh in terms of real estate you've got higher um, entry costs and so the the smart lender is going to look at those uh financings and and try to make sure that they are uh, balancing out a desire by the franchisee to expand on a rapid basis without sort of overextending themselves kind of like what rmh did
0: yeah, I was just going to mention that. Like, I imagine that they'd be paying more attention to growth, and I guess being more cautious about, um, letting a franchisee grow too fast. Uh, like RMH did was was the acceleration of uh, RMH like normal in in the space, or was it a bit more than what normal franchisees do?
1: I think it was uh, it was abnormal, um, but not objectionable in the sense that. Uh, RMH, I think, generally, was perceived to be a pretty well-run organization. They had good talent um, that started up the franchise uh, company. They apparently had owned some other franchises uh, earlier. And so the the experience was there, uh, but they they certainly got over-leveraged. And I I think you're exactly right. Lenders and and, and franchisors are going to look at that lesson and say – um, okay, we need to be a little bit more careful and pay a little bit more attention to how our franchisees are performing uh, on, a, on a more regular basis, on a quarterly basis.
0: Got it. Would your sort of other uh, large uh, casual dining chains, brands that you know, are showing signs of distress that we should you know, keep an eye on and what are some of their unique issues?
1: So when you look at sort of that franchise model you can group uh, franchises, uh, the restaurant franchises, into a couple of sort of broad general categories. You definitely have sort of that Applebee's category. That's your Applebee's, your Bennegan's, your Western Sizzler, Chili's, Friendly's, Perkins. Those, I think, are the companies that are under the most distressed, um, particularly those that are located, again, in the large metropolitan cities. While you've got you've got uh, a larger Customer base, um, the the options and uh, the the ability for consumers to sort of go local and to go to other types of of of, of opportunities uh, is really sort of outstripping the draw of the casual sit down dining experience. So. You know those those companies or, or those consumers that were looking maybe at, at going to a friendlies are saying, um, well, I've got a couple of other options I can do. I can all I can always go to sort of the fast food option, which continues just to, to, to drive volume. So your, your McDonald's, your Burger Kings, those are those are always out there, and they continue to do a very swift business. Um, you also have. The, the sort of the hybrid fast food sit-down models, such as a Chipotle or a Panera. And those companies came into the franchise business relatively late, uh, and they have actually done um, a pretty remarkable job um of, of sort of taking and embracing technology, too, and making that drive their business. And then just last, sort of just thinking about the categories, you, you also have competing against the, the casual sit-down dining uh, Applebee's, sort of the specialty sit-down dining franchises, such as Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, Cheesecake Factory. Those are two two good examples where basically they've, they've created um, – kind of a brand in a niche space you know buffalo wild wings uh or b-dubs as the locals here like to say uh really is captured on that 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 wing sort of fascination and, and tied it into sports and they're able to charge a little bit of a higher margin and uh, they get some of the bar scene in there, but it's definitely a niche player. Um, Cheesecake factory is a little bit of the same thing. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that they brand themselves on is sort of a higher quality product product. Uh, and then a menu that, that's you know, larger than War and Peace, you know, it takes like 20 yes. minutes just to read the whole menu, yeah. uh, but they have lots of options. And that's, that's something that I think people enjoy. and They feel like they're going into fine dining, even though it's really just a
0: franchise. Yeah, yeah. That that was sort of leads me to my next question. I was going to ask: What are you know some of these uh, casual dining franchisees doing in this stressed environment, and which ones are uh, doing better, and how? And you know, you mentioned creating a brand, and then also using technology.
1: Yeah, technology is is becoming huge. Uh, it's all about the data, right? And so uh panera is a good example of this they have started in with the whole data thing so it's all about the data so they very early on were one of the adopters of the of the reward system well the reward system uh is is great for consumers in the sense that uh you you know you go to panera and you eat there four or five times and then you get something for free so consumers love that uh but the 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 quid pro quo for getting that free item is that the company is tracking every single purchase you make and so if you sort of amalgamate all that data they're able to look at consumer trends to see what's selling what people are buying when they're doing it What time of day, basically, all of the metrics that you would want to have that would allow you to, and geography, you know, so would allow you to look and make shifts uh, to tilt or lean in a particular direction to play up to consumer tendencies. Panera is doing that.
0: So, what about the um, sort of the transactions, um, in the industry, like, you know, refinancing and, um, A's, Cause right now, while, you know, casual dining chains are making that push to improve their situations, it's, it's still not there yet. So, um, are we seeing, um, has this, uh, distress affected, um, you know, Refinancing practices, M um, and A practices—has it been difficult um, for them, or is there, you know, still enough capital uh, to keep things going?
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's there's actually a ton of capital out there on the sidelines, and uh, your traditional lenders, your your banks. Uh, are still the predominant source of capital for uh, small business. Uh, and so, you know, banks from the, the, the large cap, uh, city, uh, B of A, Wells, you know, all the way down to sort of the, the regional banks, the county based bank, um, the state based bank, uh, they are really driving um, small business investment. And you know, small business also includes uh, local franchisees, and so they're turning to uh, local uh, local uh, banks and traditional lending sources to provide liquidity. Uh, some of the franchisors also have uh, banking relationships, and they will hook their franchisees up with those lenders too. Uh, but it's not it's not always uh, dictated from. Man out in heaven that you've got to go to that bank um, that gets actually trips into uh, what may be some, uh, some lending uh, practices uh, that, that can be problematic. And so franchisors are not allowed to do that, uh, but they will make introductions. And yet, you know, one of the interesting things is that private equity has has definitely got into the game, too. There was an interesting story about one of the large uh, franchisees, a company called Mana, uh, and they were... They were like in the top 10 largest franchisees uh, by the metrics that they get measured by in 2017. So they were looking to uh, acquire another 40 or so Panera stores uh, last year. Uh, and they were able to avoid using equity, which would have been incredibly expensive. I mean, each one of these franchisees, uh, uh, Panera, for example, is anywhere between a million and a half to two million dollars of capital that's required to open up. And so they were able to avoid using equity and um, a, a recapitalization program, which would have been another way to re- raise funds uh, by going out and uh, basically refinancing with uh, with a bump in the in, in the refinancing that would allow them to go out and open up these new stores uh, by going out uh, to private equity and they partnered with private equity. The terms are confidential, but i suspect what happened is that private equity didn't just act as a lender uh but they came in uh perhaps like a mes lender in the sense that they they took some equity they provided some debt uh and they're getting a higher yield uh, as a result of that and so there is innovation in the lending space uh, that is also creeping into this franchise space uh, and I think we'll continue, to see, uh, we'll continue to see innovative capital market structures uh, that, will, uh, that will trickle into this franchise space and hopefully at the end of the day make it more efficient and, and make it a better experience across the board.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting um, transaction that took place there, and just lastly, we'll when do you um, see things improving for the casual dining space? When do you see the trouble sort of reducing?
1: Yeah, never. Um, <laughs> have you been to one of those? So they they uh, I think they just have they have they have a model problem. Um, a, a lot of those stores are are. Are, are still dark. Um, you've got big booze. Um, it, it's sort of the elephant in the industry, and sometimes it's hard to get that elephant to move. Uh, the the stores that are set up to be more flexible uh, for vastly changing consumer experiences and tastes are the ones that I think are going to be uh, the ones that will survive. Uh, and, and unfortunately, um, you, you're gonna, you're going well, We're always gonna have these the, the casual dining space. There's there's going to be a market for the there's a segment for that. But whether it experiences accelerated growth or whether um, we continue to see the 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 numbers that we currently have, I think that's going to be a real challenge for that slice of the franchise industry going forward.
0: Got it. Um, Again, thank you so much, uh, JR, for uh, being with us here and discussing this.
1: Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you.